Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before we get into these stories tonight, I want to tell you all about Universal Yums and their new Halloween-themed boxes that you can order right now. As September comes to a close and spooky season approaches, now is the perfect time to get your little ghost or goblin some treats from around the world. Universal Yums makes that very easy with their new themed Halloween boxes. You can pick up a trick-or-treat tasting game which comes with eight different candies and a spinner to make a fun game out of trying them all out. Or you can pick a pack that has specific treats, maybe just for you. The Booey Gooey Pack has snacks filled with delicious creams, and there are four different snack packs that you can get to build fun little creatures with your little ones. Things like pretzel-headed skeletons, chocolate frogs, even a chocolate spider. Picking one out helps the channel, and they will all ship by the 31st of September if you order right now. So go down there, check out that link below, and pick you up a box from Universal Yums. The last time I babysat, I watched someone die. I was in college, and back then babysitting was one of the best ways for me to make extra money. I'd done work-study the first semester, but the pay was really low, and the hours tended to suck. And the available jobs were always the ones you got interrupted enough that squeezing in study time at work was hard, especially once I decided to double major and needed access to a laptop most of the time. But babysitting, once I got a good reputation as safe, responsible, and willing to work on short notice, was the best of both worlds. Better pay shorter hours, and with younger children or stricter parents, I sometimes had two or three hours of fairly interrupted time while the kids slept upstairs. It wasn't always steady work, but the flexibility made it worth it, and usually I enjoyed myself too. The kids tended to be cool for the most part, and the couple of times I ran into real brats, I just didn't go back again. But Aaron was always one of my favorites. Only six, she was both slight and quiet for her age, with long brown hair framing a small featured face dominated by sad eyes that rarely lit up except for when she was playing by herself and didn't know you were looking. It was strange that I would like her best. There were children I had more fun with and knew better after all, but I could tell that she liked me and that such a thing was rare for her. When I took her to the park, she would hold my hand ditfully, and I occasionally gave her a hug. She didn't shy away as she'd seen her family do to friends and relatives at times. Odd as it sounded, her approval of me made me feel special, and that in turn made her special to me. The night of the screaming and death and terror started out very normal boring, even. 
I had to study for a test next Tuesday, but aside from that and watching TV, I was actually kind of out of things to do. Erin had been up in her room playing when I got there at 7, and I knew not to expect her parents back until after midnight, so by a bit after 8, I decided to check in on her and see if she wanted to come down and watch a movie or something. I could hear her whispering as I approached the cracked door and found myself pausing for a moment, straining to hear what she was saying. No, you're the silly one. It doesn't make sense. I remember frowning at that. I had a lot of experience hearing children playing, including having make-believe conversations between action figures or with some imaginary playmate, but this... It didn't sound like that. When someone fakes a conversation with someone else, especially when it's a child, it doesn't take long to see it's them pretending. When someone fakes a conversation with someone else, especially when it's a child, it doesn't take long to see it's them pretending. Sometimes it's super obvious. They do voices for both sides, for example, but even if they only do their own part, you can tell they aren't really reacting to someone else. Everything they say is expected, following by the path that they're laying out in their own imagination, often with brief pauses as they think of the next bit as they go. There's a kind of bland joy in their voices, but it's paired with a degree of lonely dissatisfaction, like celebrating your birthday when you're all alone. You're tricking yourself into believing the conceit and being happy, and it only half works. But Aaron's conversation was different. I could hear happiness in her voice, but something else too. Frustration, maybe. Even anxiety. And it all sounded real enough that my heart sped up as I opened the door, a darker corner of my brain already picturing scenarios where some intruder has snuck into the little girl's room. Aaron turned and gave me a gap-toothed grin. Hey, Betty. I looked past her to the far side of the bed. The space there was empty. <laughs> hey, Shortstack. Who are you talking to? Her smile fell away as her eyes followed mine to the carpet between the window and the bed. Just playing. I nodded, stepping to the window. It was shut and locked, and there was nowhere else for anything to be other than... I swallowed. I know it's early, but I'm going to go ahead and do a monster check, okay? Aaron smiled a little. Okay. I held her gaze for a second. She didn't seem scared, but she didn't seem quite right either. More like she was preoccupied or... But no, I was... Making this into more than it was, I just needed to get over it. Crouching down quickly, I looked under the bed, terrified that I'd find a man lying under there staring back at me. But no. It was empty too, aside from a couple of books and a stuffed dog. Glancing back at Aaron, I forced a smile. All clear. Standing up, I held out my hand. Want to come down and watch TV? My pizza will be here in a bit and you can have some. The little girl beamed and nodded before giving me a frown. Did you get pineapple on it again? I snickered. <laughs> Only on half. I kept some pristine for the little princess. 
Giggling, she did a curtsy before taking my hand. See? She's totally fine. Preppier than normal, even. You're freaking out over nothing. Nodding to myself, I took her downstairs, and we started watching some movie that was a bit scary, but didn't seem to bother her too much. The pizza came, we ate some, and I was coming back from getting us more drinks in the kitchen when I saw she wasn't in the living room anymore. Aaron, where'd you go, honey? My first thought was the bathroom, and after sitting down the drinks, I headed that way, but no sign of her in the downstairs bathroom. Maybe she'd gone to the kitchen the other way and I'd missed her. Nothing there, either. And no sign she'd returned to the living room when I completed my circuit of the downstairs. I headed up to the second floor, then, my heart hammering in time with my hurried steps. I was still calling out for her, less now to get her attention and more to warn her not to hide from me as I was starting to think this was part of some prank or impromptu game she was playing. She wasn't back in her room or her parents and I didn't find her anywhere else up there either. I was heading back downstairs, already planning a more thorough search of every room and closet until I found her. When I realized that the front door was now standing wide open. Stomach twisting, I stepped out onto the front porch and looked around. No sign of her out there either. And I was starting to run out of... No, wait. Down at the very end of the street, I saw a dim glimpse of movement at the edge of the street light glow. It was too quick and far away to say for sure it was her, but I needed to check and see. Closing the door behind me, I sprinted off in that direction, calling out to Aaron to stop if that was her. The corner was over a hundred yards away, and by the time I made the turn, I could see the figure even farther ahead, despite the fact that they weren't running like I was. It had to be her, didn't it? It was hard to say in the dark, and I had no idea why Aaron would run off like that, but what were the odds that another person, roughly her size, would be roaming around in the street in the dark right when she goes missing? Gritting my teeth, I forced myself to run harder. I needed to catch up before I lost her. This went on for three more blocks. Every time I thought I was gaining, I'd turn the corner and I'd find her farther ahead. I knew by then that it was definitely Aaron, but she never stopped or responded to my yelling between panting breaths. We're at the edge of the park now, and I felt a moment of panic as I realized I'd lost her again. There were too many trees and obstructions there between bathrooms and benches and playground equipment, and all of it was giving extra weight and dimension to the lengthening shadows of the night. I just needed to... You need help, little lady? I let out a startled scream as I looked around to find a man staring at me. He looked to be in his early thirties. He was wearing clothes like he'd just come from a gym. He was smiling, but there was something in his eyes I didn't like. Taking a step back, I shook my head. No, I... Did you see a little girl come this way? He chuckled. Only girl I've seen is you. You don't look that young. Not too young, anyway. The man extended his hand. Name's Keith. Can I help somehow? He glanced at his hand, then looked around again. 
No thanks. I, I'm just babysitting this little girl, and she ran out. I'm trying to track her down. I glance back at him. Just... If you see a little girl by herself, yell, okay? I turned away and started jogging further into the park without waiting for a response. Five minutes later, and a new level of panic started setting in. I hadn't found her again, and I realized now I'd left my phone back in the living room. I didn't want to risk leaving the park to go get it, but I was quickly running out of places to look. I was trying to justify another pass through before running to the house when I heard laughter in the distance. That was Aaron laughing. Muttering a prayer under my breath, I started running in the direction of the sound. I was toward the center of the park, somewhere around the big fountain there. I'd been by before, but maybe she'd been hiding or she'd just gotten there, but... My thoughts died as I reached the plaza and stared up at the fountain. It was a massive thing of carved stone, riddled with intricately carved animals and trees winding this way and that between three shrinking levels of elevated pools that followed down into a large ground pool where people would throw coins for wishing. And at the top level, some 30 feet in the air, Aaron sat perched on the back of a carved bear. Aaron? Stay still, honey. What are you doing up there? The little girl waved at me happily but didn't answer. I wanted to tell her to come down, but how could I? She might break her neck and... Anyway. How'd you get up there? She swung her feet like she was spurring the stone bear forward. My friend put me up here. It can climb so good. Her eyes widened excitedly. Want me to have it bring you up here too? I frowned at her, my mind racing. What was she talking about? Had there been someone in her room? Had they abducted her? Why the hell had I left my phone behind? I glanced around but didn't see anyone. Honey, who's... No, where's your friend? I don't see them. Did they leave? Please let them have left. I could figure out a way to get her down. Just please let them have... No! They're right there. She pointed to the bottom of the pool, which was filled with shadows but looked empty. I don't see anything there, Aaron. She giggled again. That's okay. It sees you. It's looking right at you felt a chill go up my spine. She kept saying it, not he or she. It had to be some weird imaginary friend, but then how did she get all the way up there? And what if there was something in the dark that I just couldn't... Hey, so you found her. I jumped and turned to see the guy, Keith, standing a few feet away again. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. He was staring up at Aaron now, his expression unreadable. Huh. How'd she get all the way up there? I felt my heart starting to beat faster. Had he done this somehow? 
I looked back up at Aaron. Honey, do you know this man? She shook her head with a frown. No, is he your friend? Beside me, the man chuckled. I didn't mess with your kid, honest. Just trying to be helpful. If you want me to, I'll go. I blushed and shook my head. Shit. I'm sorry. I'm just... Just kind of freaked out at the moment. I need to get her down without breaking something. Keith nodded. (laughs) I see what you mean. Lots of places to slip and fall. Look, why don't you call the cops or the fire department? They can get her down, right? I felt my heart sink lower. I... I left my phone at the house. My thought occurred to me as I looked away from Aaron and back at him. Do you think you could call 911 and... He stepped closer now and his friendly expression had hardened into something hungry and cruel. I was hoping you'd say that. I took a step back, but he was quicker, reaching out and grabbing my forearm to pull me toward him, even as he wrapped his other arm around me. I yelled, but then his hand was at my throat, his hot breath at my ear as he began to stagger walk me back toward the tall bushes at the edge of the fountain plaza. Keep quiet, bitch. If you give me what I want, I might not have to fuck you up too bad. I might have to pull that kid down. I shot an elbow in his stomach, and for a moment, his grip loosened, but then he was punching me in the side of the head once, twice, a third time, my vision blurring for a moment as he started dragging me again. I wanted to tell Aaron to get away, to go run or hide or get help, but it was all too late. Maybe if I just went along with him, he'd leave her alone and... A deep scream split the night air. My eyes instinctively turned toward the sound, and I managed to focus enough to see the water in the bottom of the fountain churning as something unseen pushed through it. Great splashes of water were flung out under the cobblestone of the plaza as something silently charged us, ripping the man away from me so harshly that I tumbled to the ground. Now the man was screaming, squealing shrilly as his feet danced in the air, suspended by something invisible that began to break his arms over and over like it was folding up a used drinking straw. The screams became thinner, then Keith's workout shirt ripping as something wrapped around his chest and began to squeeze. New muffled popping sounds came from his chest with each undulation of pressure. I stared at all this with a combination of mute horror, satisfaction, and relief, but it wasn't until it started eating him that the unreality of it all broke through my shock for me to begin crawling away in terror. Huge bloody chunks would suddenly be gone, though somehow nothing made it all the way to the ground. Whatever it was that had him, it was exceedingly efficient in having its meal. And by the time I'd crawled back to the fountain, it was as though the man had never been there at all. I looked up at Aaron, keeping my voice low. Is... Is that your friend? She looked down over the ear of the bear and nodded. Yeah, and he's your friend now too. The little girl looked past me. Hey, get me back down, please. 
I did what you wanted. We need to go home and finish our pizza. I felt the air shift near me as something passed by, heard the quiet slosh of the water as it went back into the fountain and pulled Aaron from the bear. I wanted to protest, ask it to stop, but I was terrified, and honestly, it hadn't done anything to the little girl yet, at least that I knew of. So instead, I sat shuddering as I watched her seemingly float through the air before being placed gently down at my side, and when she offered me her hand, I took it and stood up. Are you sure you're safe with it, Aaron? She nodded. Yeah, we are. It's been my friend for a long time, and it looks after me. But it gets hungry sometimes, and it's hard for me to find it something that's okay for it to eat. I swallowed. We were walking back toward the house now, and it took everything I had to not scoop her up and break into a run. The image of some invisible thing pulling me back and tearing me apart was honestly the main thing that stopped me. Eat? Like, people? Aaron shrugged. Yeah, mainly, I guess. I know that sounds mean, but it only gets bad people, I think. It was kind of young, too, when it first found me, but it's a lot bigger now. It told me it needs to have a grown-up to protect it so it can eat enough. She giggled and looked past me. <laughs> I told you you're being silly. I know you still love me, too. I'm not mad about it. I super swear. The girl rolled her eyes at me. It gets so sensitive about stuff, but I understand, and I want her to be happy. She gave my hand a squeeze. That's why I picked you. I slowed down. Picked me how? She grinned. It's going to protect you now. I don't know if you'll ever be able to see it or hear it, but it says that's okay. It'll be happy just so long as it can eat some and keep you safe. She laughed and nodded past me. And visit me sometimes, too. Blinking, I stopped in the middle of the street and stared down at her. Aaron, I don't want that. I... I mean, I guess I believe you after everything, but I don't want some invisible friend just hanging around me all the time and occasionally eating people it thinks is bad. Aaron was already shaking her head. No, it won't be like that. I mean, the hanging around part, yeah, but you can decide who it eats so long as it gets to eat every few months. It just gets sad if it's too hungry. She shrugged again, her voice softer as her gaze drifted into the dark asphalt. Besides, being around isn't something you pick. It picks you. That was... ten years ago. Since then, I've been pretty lucky. I have a great contract job, plenty of friends, and while back in high school and freshman year of college, I was kind of overweight and sickly, I haven't had so much as a cold in the last decade. And people are always asking me what diet or exercise routine I used to stay in such good shape. I don't tell anyone about my special friend's blessings, but I'm honest about the rest. I eat what I want, but I do run a lot. I mainly run late at night, through parks, rough neighborhoods, areas I read about in the newspaper. 
Over time, I've had to drive out farther for some of my midnight runs, but the change of scenery is actually quite nice, even if it's running past an abandoned factory or a trap house. And honestly, this whole experience has made me feel better about humans as a race. Do you know how hard it is to find someone that will attack you? It probably feels like you could turn down any dark street and find death. But really, most people don't want to do more than be left alone or, at worst, talk a little shit as you jog by. Sometimes it takes weeks just to find someone that will cross the line between douchebag and dinner. Still, I must be doing a pretty good job of keeping our friend well fed. Every time we visit Aaron, she tells me everything it's saying and about how happy it is and how much it loves us. And despite being taller than me now, when Aaron hugs it, her hands can't even reach all the way around the air she's squeezing. Funny enough, the shared bond with our guardian has also brought the two of us closer together. She's two years away from college, but she's already hinting around at going somewhere near where I move after my current work contract is done. And to be fair, I'd like her to be close too. I think we both would. That's when I look at cities for the next stage of my career. I cross-check them against several different things they have to have. Nice scenery not too far away? Check. Good college with a safe campus? Check. Selection of cool restaurants and affordable housing? Check. All that and good running paths through areas with a high instance of violence crime? Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. I liked Ben. I really did. I mean, he was a nice guy. We had some fun times together in college, messing around the dorm, going to parties, all the dumb shit that college guys do. He was cool and all, but he was a little... pretentious. Well, I guess the word he used was artistic. He thought he was real smart, spent a lot of time trying to prove it to everyone. He had his own blog developed to film critiques. Not the big ones, though. Just little indie productions because nothing else was worth his time. When he got like that, he could be pretty insufferable. Perhaps the most annoying thing he did was performance art. Now, I don't want to be the guy who says that all performance art is dumb, but... Yeah, no, all performance art is dumb. Oh look, you're on a display painting a picture of Jesus from your own urine. How original and edgy. Maybe I'm a little jaded, but it always seemed so contrived to me. Fortunately, Ben really loved it. He thought there was something beautiful in art that was physically living, and he devoted an embarrassing amount of time to it. Anyway... I hung out with Ben a few times after college, but we mostly just met up to do some heavy drinking and maybe hit a strip club or two. He considered that performance art as well, which was just fine with me. Gave me an excuse to waste some ones. Since we didn't hang out very often, I had a bad feeling when he contacted me about a month before last Halloween. He called me up about 7 in the morning on a Saturday, which is too early to even consider waking up, in my opinion. 
I answered in a daze, and he started running his mouth like crazy, as though afraid that if he didn't get it all out at once, he never would. Mikey, hey, Mike, listen, buddy, I need your help, okay? Okay, okay, I've got this idea for a performance, and well, it's gonna be killer, you know? So good. It's going down on Halloween. Can you come help? Look, I'll even pay you, man. Fifty bucks. How about it? No. I've never cared much for Halloween one way or the other, and I'm a pretty easy guy. Fifty dollars to probably just sit around and run a fog machine or some bullshit? Sign me up. For the right price, I could even pretend that I wanted to be there. Besides, what else are friends for? A few days later, he gave me the details. To be honest, I was a little shocked when he sent me the email. I know that performance art is intended to be edgy and can sometimes get a little dangerous, but this seemed like downright neglect. Thanks for agreeing to do this for me. I've talked to a few other people where they weren't really comfortable with it for reasons you'll probably be able to figure out. Of course, I understand if you want to back out, but I think you're probably the most reliable person I know. It's really not that big of a deal, I'm sure you'll agree. As I'm sure you've noticed, vampires have become very prominent in the media as of late. I say vampires because they are beginning to deviate so wildly from the traditional myths that they resemble forest fairies more than anything else. Altruistic? Sparkly? Whiny? (laughs) Give me a break. We need more Dracula. We need more Carmilla. We need more death, destruction, and blood. My performance will center on the theme of rebirthing the vampire. For the vampire to be reborn, he must first be buried. To turn people's attention back to the myths of old, I will be doing just that. I will be burying the vampire. I have a group of viewers signed up already to participate in the performance, so you don't need to worry about that. I'm going to plant a series of vampire-themed clues around town for them to follow. The clues should be pretty simple, and it will probably take no more than an hour or an hour and a half for them to find me. Here comes the... somewhat... controversial part. Essentially, for this performance to have any semblance of meaning, I need to be buried alive. Don't worry, it's perfectly safe. I have a buddy from back home who's built me a coffin with a hole in the top. I'll be fixing it with a pipe that will stick out an inch or two above the ground. That way I won't run out of air. I also have a few necessities in the coffin in case something happens. Food, water, and a flashlight. Once they arrive at my grave, which will be completely vampirized... They will be provided with an array of shovels that will bring me back to life. A reincarnation of the true mythological history of vampires. Here's where you come in. I need you to bury me. In addition, I need you to be my safety net. If they can't find me, if something goes wrong, if I become sick, I need you to be the one to get me out or call the police if necessary. I'll also need you to decorate my grave, make it real creepy. Don't worry, I'll send you some blueprints. I know this is a little stressful, and it may take some time for you to decide, but rest assured, this is a completely safe project. 
There's no danger of suffocation, and the coffin is sturdy, so it's very unlikely that it'll collapse. I really just need you there for the support and the actual hard work of burying me. What do you say? I'd even be willing to pay you $100 if that's what you need. Let me know. R.I.P. Ben. I stared at my screen for a few minutes. Completely dumbfounded. Once I cut through all the bullshit about art and vampires and rebirth, what it came down to was... death. This guy actually wanted me to almost kill him. I mean, sure, it probably was safe, but my mind went over the plan slowly. What if I couldn't get him out in time? One shovel and a pile of dirt wouldn't be a fast job. Furthermore, what if something happened to me? Before making a decision, I sent him another email asking if he was really sure he was up for this. Of course he knew, he said. And then he said something that would always stick with me. Art must be a little dangerous, my friend, for it to be real. A month later, I found myself standing at the foot of a grave. It was six feet deep and perfectly rectangular. Sitting at the bottom was a tapered coffin covered with black lacquer, a white skull painted on the top, and the eye of the skull was a hole just big enough for the PVC pipe. Stenciled underneath was a line from Dracula. For the dead travel fast. I stood there like an idiot, waiting for Ben to show up. In the end, I decided to go along with this stupid gig, but Ben was a stubborn bastard, and if I didn't help him, someone else would. At least that's my justification. But the real reason was that, deep inside my heart, his words were still echoing. Art must be a little dangerous for it to be real. I ended up doing a little more work than I had intended. For one, I had to place his stupid clues around the city. It wasn't hard work, but it took some time to get them all in the proper places. Luckily for Ben, they were pretty obvious clues. There was no need to worry that his participants would be unable to find him. Ben had set up the grave in a coffin a few days prior to Halloween. It was out in the woods, just on the outskirts of town, no chance of it being disturbed. I'd tried to talk him out of burying it the whole six feet down. Something happens and I need to get you out fast, what will I do? Can't you put it closer to the surface? Ben had just shaken his head in exasperation. You just don't get it, do you? It has to be done right. Remember what I told you. Art must be a little dangerous for it to be real. So I shrugged and let him mess around with whatever dumbassery would get him off. I was just beginning to wonder if I should have brought more beer. This promised to be a long night when Ben finally showed up. I had to restrain my laughter when I saw his get up. A cheap Dracula costume from Walmart had never looked so pathetic, especially when topped off with those cheap plastic fangs. He greased his hair back and painted on a widow's peak. I couldn't resist. <laughs> wow. Seriously, dude? He 
gave me a stern look. It's a comment on the commercialization of vampires and horror as we know it today. He fished around in his pocket and pulled out a walkie-talkie. Here, take one. The range isn't very far, but my phone won't work that far underground. You'll have to stay nearby. Let me know if you're going out of range. I shrugged and took it. Okay, but you brought your cell just in case, right? Uh, what good will it do if it doesn't work? This guy's batshit insane, I thought. But he handed me the hundred dollars and suddenly it didn't seem to matter anymore. I held him into the coffin and shut the lid. He seemed pretty calm. If it were me, I knew I'd be having a panic attack. I fit the PVC pipe into the hole. It slid in perfectly snug. I climbed out the coffin and grabbed my shovel, taking one last look at the shiny black peeking out from the dirt. With a resigned shrug, I started to shovel in the dirt. Okay, well, he asked for this, I thought. It took almost a full hour to get the dirt piled in. PVC pipe was just barely visible over the grave. I piled the earth around it to hide it as well as I could. Then I set up the rest of the grave, a hideously gothic headstone made of styrofoam and cheap Walmart flowers. Once it was finally finished, I sat back against a tree and waited. There was an awful lot of waiting to be done. Three hours later, his participants still hadn't come. He'd buzzed in on the walkie-talkie a few times, asking me if they'd shown up. I continually answered in the negative, wondering how long he'd be willing to keep up this charade. He must be getting worried, I thought, staring at my watch. It was already 10 p.m. and not a soul to be seen. Hey, Mike, something must have happened. I, I don't think they're coming. Can you get me out of here? Ben's voice crackled and faded in and out of the static fuzz. I took another swig of my beer and heaved a sigh. Of course they weren't coming. They were frantically searching for the last clue. My hand crept into my pocket as I felt it folded there, the creases poking at the soft flesh in my palm. Mike? Are you there? Did you go out of range? I turned the walkie-talkie off. I didn't need it anymore anyway. Carefully, I picked up a handful of disturbed earth from the top of the makeshift grave. I poured it down the pipe and listened. I heard the muffled exclamation, the series of expletives. I thought I could hear a thumping sound. It must be hitting the top of the coffin. I smiled a little to myself as I poured more dirt through the pipe. Ben's struggles got louder and louder, and I felt a certain heat rising up in me. I knew it could be good, but I didn't know it could be this good. This was incredible. This was perfect. This was godly. Eventually, I grew bored of shoving earth down into the coffin. I could hear Ben screaming and sobbing, reverberating up the pipe. I yanked a handkerchief out of my back pocket and stuffed it inside. I made sure to plug it up good and tight. It would only be a matter of time now. 
Assuming he could regulate his breathing, he could possibly have a few hours, but I knew he was panicking. And that would simply serve to shorten his time. Pounding grew weaker as I finished my beer. Once I was certain there was no saving him, I went to finish my work. Ben was right. Everything really did go off without a hitch. I don't know what it was I was so worried about. I'd gone to find his lost sheep, the wayward participants who were scrambling in frustration for the last clue. I scolded them for making us wait so long, acted the part of the reluctant friend indulging his lunatic companion. I took them out to the grave. It was now past midnight. They sat hushed as I gave the stupid speech that Ben had prepared for me. Everything seemed normal. I made sure to stow away the rag before anyone could see it. Friends, foes, and everyone in between. Tonight we gather to resurrect the ancient horror that has plagued mankind for centuries. Its tale, once a gruesome epic of blood and seduction, has become nothing more than the commercialized fodder as society has aged. Now the time has come for the phoenix to burn and rise again. So too shall the blood-soaked visage of the vampire... My voice resonated through the woods, and the morons and attendants clapped as they all reached for their shovels. We dug him up in about half an hour. It was much faster work with this host of suckers. It was good that we reached the coffin quickly, because I could barely contain my excitement. Two of the men opened the coffin and screamed. The woman leaned in over the grave to peek as well, full of expectancy. There was something... Dreadful about the scene, to be sure. Ben's face had gone gray, sprayed over with a few specks of dirt. His hands were bloody, his fingernails pried off. Deep scratches decorated the top of the lid. The men who had opened his tomb dragged him out in a panic, unsure if this was part of the performance or not. A few moments of silence, listening at his chest produced no heartbeat. The proclamation was definitive. He was dead. They screamed, they called the police, they alternatively looked at his body and shielded themselves from his horror, enraptured, yet struggling. They ignored me. But that was fine. It was fine because they were admiring my work, the work of a real artist. Finally, I had been given this opportunity to prove my worth. Finally, I had found my sacrificial lamb, and it had been a rousing success. The heat raging in my body affirmed that much. I didn't even care if I was caught so long as I could have this moment to hold for the rest of my life. Ben was right, and I should have known. A man of principle never lies. And I owe him a debt of gratitude for realizing the artist within me. Art must be a little dangerous for it to be real. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. 
Um, if I'm being honest, that last one was a little hard for me to get through. <laughs> uh, being buried alive is one of my biggest fears. Going back to um, two videos ago, I asked you, if would you rather be cremated or buried? And I, I said cremated, mostly because of that reason. I, I don't think being buried alive would happen today. It's very illogical to think that in the year 2021, you know, uh, someone could be buried alive. But for some reason, that fear has always stuck with me. I think it has roots in like claustrophobia, fear of the dark, fear of constraint, things like that. So for this week's or this video's question, I want to ask you, what's your biggest fear? Out of all the things that you can be afraid of, what terrifies you the most? And I'm not talking like you see a spider and you get a little freaked out, you know? I'm talking like makes you makes your hands clammy, your throat tighten up, visceral causes you visceral fear. Buried alive, uh being constrained, things like that. Anything where I cannot move or I'm in a confined space and I know that death is imminent. Both of those things absolutely terrify me. I also have a very strong fear of wide open spaces, things like space or the ocean specifically. So I would love to hear what you all are afraid of in the comment section below. And um, don't forget to pick up a box from Universal Yums. They actually have some really cool Halloween stuff going on as I showed you. So that helps out the channel a lot. But I'll leave you to your evening, day, or afternoon. Take care of yourself and everyone around you. And sleep tight, everyone. <laughs>